Luke chapter 18. Find it, and when you do, stand together, and we'll read God's Word. Luke chapter number 18. Luke 18 and 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, and he neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward He said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard or respect man, yet this woman, this widow, troubleth me. So I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge, and you could put there the word vindicate, Shall not God vindicate his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Thank you, and you may be seated. Let me remind you of something that is very, very, very basic to our Christian faith, and that is that there are five specific, what I would call, disciplines, five disciplines. I read a little pamphlet that somebody put out, a little gospel tract, and it called it the Big Five. Well, here's the Big Five that I want to remind you about. I want to remind you that these five basic things define your Christian life. If you want to measure your Christian life, if you want a a, a, a tape measure you can put on true biblical spirituality, you can use these five things to measure your life. First of all, there's Bible study, Bible reading a time in God's Word when we hear from Him. Here we stress, begin the day with the Bible in your lap. The second one of the basic five, the big five, is prayer, that you on a regular basis go to the throne of grace, and you take your petitions there with faith, believing that God will hear and answer your prayers in response to His own promises. The third is church attendance that the Bible says we are not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, that we are to gather together in the name of Christ as a testimony to the world around us and for our own building, our own edification. And then the fourth of the big five is fellowship. We need to fellowship with God's people. We need to engage with them. As iron sharpeneth iron, the proverb says, meaning that when we rub our lives against the lives of other people, that something happens. We grow, we develop, we, we expand in, in our faith walk. And then lastly, there's witnessing. The number five of the big five is witnessing. The Bible commands the witness of our, us. We're to spread Christianity by going into all the world and 
taking the gospel to every creature to share with people what Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done in our life. And in doing those basic five disciplines, boy, we grow. We'll grow like a weed that has fertilizer on it if we will just learn to daily, systematically practice those disciplines. So your success or failure in your Christian life depends upon your practice of these five things. But there's one of them that I believe in observing God's people through many years of pastoring now, I believe that there's one of them that's a real weak link, that the weakest link for the average Christian, I'm talking about the average of all Christians that I know and encounter, I believe the weakest link in the average Christian spiritual life is the one on prayer. And so I preach a lot on prayer. I've been doing a Wednesday night service recently, teaching on the conditions of answered prayer, taking one or two of them a week and teaching them. And so today, I want to go back to that subject and kind of tie together a lot of the Wednesday night teaching. But for those of you who are not here on Wednesday nights, I want, I want to not pass through this passage as we go through the book of Luke. This is sure a part of the book I don't want to skip. And I want you to understand what real biblical praying is because there's so much teaching that emphasizes the devotional nature of prayer, that we pray because in praying we unburden ourselves and we get a psychological lift and, and all these different things. But that's not really the main purpose of prayer. Please hear me. I don't want anybody to walk out of the building today that didn't hear this statement. The purpose of prayer is for you to get things from God. The purpose of prayer is for you to be able to live your life and God comes in a very personal way and he meets your needs. Spiritual needs, sure. But I'm talking about physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, the needs you have in having a family, rearing your children. I don't think there's any subject that's off limits for a Christian to pray about because the Bible teaches us to pray for everything, in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, the Scripture says. So the primary purpose of prayer is to take our needs to the throne of grace and believe that there is a God with whom we have a relationship strong enough that that God will hear us, and in his will and in his time, he will give us an answer to our prayer. If prayer, then, is asking, and it is, then the answer to prayer is receiving, a simple, simple piece of logic. If prayer is defined by asking, then receiving, the answer is of course, to have an answer to the prayer. Andrew Murray was a South African. He wrote a number of books on prayer and is probably recognized as one of the three or four greatest authors on the subject of prayer that we have today in the English language. 
And I, I love his books, The Believer's School of Prayer, and books like that that I've read on and off all of my ministry. I recommend them to you. Anything by Andrew Murray on prayer is wonderful. Andrew Murray said, and I quote, it is a mark of the diseased state of Christian life that so many people rest content without receiving specific answers to prayer. I share it again. It's a mark of the diseased state of Christian life that so many rest content without specific answers to prayer, end of quote. And there's one condition that, as I've been teaching about those conditions for answered prayer on Wednesday night, there's one condition that I think is the most important condition of all, and it's the one that's in this parable. It's the condition of continuing in prayer, just praying and continuing to pray until we hear from God. Continuing in prayer, that's my subject today. The reason I say it's the most important is I think if a person continues in prayer, all the other conditions will end up falling into place and they'll be met. For example, I begin to pray about something and I wonder, is this the Lord's will? But if I continue to pray about it, I will either get an answer to that prayer or the Lord will show me His will, and so I can change my prayer. I can adjust and, and pray in His will and receive an answer. If, if I continue to pray and there's a sin in my life that inhibits an answer, then the Lord will convict me of that sin through His Holy Spirit. And I confess and forsake that sin, and now I get an answer to my prayer. If I just don't quit praying, if I continue to pray, the Lord will adjust me and His purposes will be revealed and I'll get an answer. So pray on, press on in prayer because in continuing in prayer, I'm going to fulfill the rest of the conditions required for answers to prayer. The principle is so important that I want you to hold your finger there in Luke 18, but I want you to turn back to Luke 11. It's unusual for Jesus to give us two parables that the teaching in both parables is essentially the same. So he gave us two parables here about persevering in prayer, continuing to pray on and on and on, request after request before him. He's teaching us this. He gives us two complete parables on it. The one I just read about the widow woman and the unjust judge, chapter 18. Back in chapter 11, he's teaching on prayer, beginning in verse 1. The disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them the model prayer, the Lord's prayer, we call it. Let's go down to verse 5. And he continued after teaching them the Lord's Prayer. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me. A friend has dropped in here on a trip, and I have nothing to set before him. I don't have any food for him. And your friend from within shall answer and say, 
Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give you anything right now. Wake up the whole family. Jesus said, I say unto you that though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. He'll give him as many loaves of bread as he needs. If you keep on knocking, Jesus said, you'll get an answer. And then he continues with this greatest, perhaps, of all prayer promises. Verse 9, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone, will you circle that in your Bible? Everyone that asketh, receiveth. That's you. Write your name in there. That's a promise of God to you. Everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And then go back up to verse 9, and let me remind you that those verbs there, ask, seek, knock, are in a continuous present tense. And what do I mean by continuous present tense? I mean the thought there is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't quit asking and praying. Keep on knocking on the door. Keep on seeking an answer. Keep on asking. And he says, you're going to find. It's going to be given to you. Now, it may take some time, and you may have to modify some things that God will reveal to you, but if you will just keep on praying, the light will break through. Amen? The light will break through. And so I say this to encourage you today. I want you to go back to Luke 18 and notice with me the people of the parable. The people who are in the parable is just two. A judge, verse 2. There was in a city a judge. Look at the description of this old judge. He has no fear of God. He has no respect for God. Maybe he's an atheist. Who knows? And he has no respect or regard for man. He's a hard man. Verse number 6 uses the word unjust to describe him. He's a crooked judge. He's a judge that you're not very impressed with this fellow, are you? He's not much. And so a woman comes to him, and she's described in verse 3 as a widow woman. And widows, to understand the culture of that time, there was no social security. There was no welfare. There was no government help or assistance for her. So she's economically deprived. She's poor. There were no rich widows in those days. She was helpless. She had no influence. She had no power in the community. He has a lot of influence, a lot of power. She has none. And she has an adversary, the word she uses here, avenge me of mine adversary. Somebody is exploiting her. Somebody is harassing her. Somebody is abusing this poor woman. 
She's, ha- she's going through a real trial in her life. She's having a major difficulty right now. So she goes to this old hard-hearted judge here, and she says, I need some legal protection. Will you help me, sir? I have a great need. And he did nothing for her, absolutely nothing. He turned her away, and she went back to him repeatedly. Appeal after appeal, request after request. She goes, she asks, she seeks, she knocks, she keeps on asking, she keeps on seeking, she keeps on knocking. And then I want you to notice what the judge, what it says about him. He's not motivated by justice. He's described as being unjust. He seems to have no compassion. He doesn't care about anybody, God nor man. He said it himself. But he finally acts. And notice what he said in verse 5. Because this widow troubleth me. Underline the words troubleth. She keeps on coming. She just won't quit. She pesters me to death. I really, I don't give a flip about helping her, but I'm, she's going to come every day and interrupt me. I'm just sick of this woman coming and bothering me. She troubles me is what he says here. And then if you will notice later in the verse, he says, by her continual coming, her continual coming, she just won't stop. And finally, he acquiesces to her needs. She just wore him out. Now, if you think I just made that up, that's just PD definition here. (laughs) If you have a marginal rendering there, the words, she weary me at the end of verse 5, if you look over the margin of your Bible, the alternate rendering is she wears me out. She just wears me out. That's the way we still say it in the PD, isn't it? You ever looked at your kids and said, y'all just wearing me out. That's what this woman was doing. And that's the description of the word importunity, not opportunity, importunity. It's over there in chapter 11 and in verse 8 where the woman comes with importunity is to ask and keep on asking, is to seek and keep on seeking, is to knock and keep on knocking, is not to quit, is to continue in prayer. And as you're continuing over a period of time, God is adjusting circumstances. You are adjusting your life. You're finding out the will of God in your life until finally everything is lined up and God answers your prayer. What a great, great truth. You see, the key to understanding this whole thing today, the key is hanging right here on the front door, isn't it? In verse 1 of chapter 18, The key is that men ought always to pray and not to faint, and to faint has the idea of giving up. And so this woman in chapter 18, this friend in verse 18, are great examples to us of persevering in prayer, continuing in prayer, of importunity. The word importunity is not a word we use much anymore. To importune has the idea of fervently and shamelessly asking. 
fervently and shamelessly asking, Oh, God, I'm desperate today. I need you to come and undertake for me to fervently and shamelessly beg like a beggar on the street, to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do it. I need you. And to throw ourselves upon him in faith, believing that he's going to keep his promises to us. The people of the parable, the judge, the unjust judge, and the widow woman. I want you to notice with me, secondly, though, the principle of perseverance. Note again in verse 5, that judge's own words. This widow troubleth me. By her continual coming, she's wearing me out. I go back to Andrew Murray again. He said so many wonderful things, and I copied this one. Listen. Andrew Murray, and I quote, he tells us that we are not to rest without an answer because it is the rule in the Father's family that every Christ-like believing petition be granted. Did you hear me? Get a hold of that. In the Father's family, the rule is that every childlike believing petition be granted. If no answer comes, we are not to sit down in resignation and suppose it is not God's will to give us an answer. No. Something in the prayer must not be as God would have it, childlike and believing. Note that phrase again. Something in the prayer must not be as God would have it. It is far easier for the flesh to submit without an answer than to yield itself to be searched and purified by the Spirit until it has learned to pray the prayer of faith. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that teach continuing in prayer, what I'm talking about, importunity. For example, there's Romans 12 and 12, which says, continuing instant, meaning constantly being diligent in our prayer life. Ephesians 6 and 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto, listen to this phrase, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. With Pray with all perseverance and supplication for for all saints. Colossians 4 and 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. There's my message title, Colossians 4 and 2, continue in prayer. It doesn't mean you're praying all the time, nonstop, but it means you're, you're, you're over and over coming to God's throne of grace. And you're coming with faith, and you're coming believing, and you're saying to yourself, you know, I haven't gotten an answer yet, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to get one. And God's going to be showing me and teaching me and helping me to, adjust, me to adjust my life so that he can answer my prayer. I read it again. Something in the prayer must not be as God would have it if I'm not getting my prayer answered. And then I want you to notice thirdly with me, the promise that God has given us to hear and answer prayer. Do you know how powerful these promises are? We read them. Please don't just read over them and, 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 and gloss over them and just blow them off and forget them. Almighty God, the creator of the heaven and earth, has promised to hear the Christian's prayer. 
your prayer. Let's look at it again where it says that. Luke chapter 18 and verse 6. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them and though he, he puts up with us in long requests of prayer? I tell you that he will avenge or vindicate them speedily. Once the conditions are met, God will give the answer quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? And then go back to chapter 11 again. Let's read. Let's remind ourselves of these in the light of me mentioning that they're promises of God. They're promises. Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall. Notice each time. It shall. It shall. It shall. It's positive. Certain. It's a promise. Go down to verse 13. Well, no, let's just go down through the whole thing here. Verse 10, everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. He that knocketh, the door opens. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father Will an earthly father give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Will you play some sort of cruel joke on your child? If he asks you for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And these are ridiculous. There's extreme answers. Because what is he saying? He's saying if you and I, human fathers, have a legitimate request from our children, and we come to them and we ask them for something that is a, a legitimate thing. Are we going to trick them? Are we going to give them something that would harm them? No, you wouldn't do that to your child. Let's go back to another one of those precious promises of prayer. Turn over to John chapter number 14 in your Bible. John 14 and verse 13, promises that are so Profoundly important. I can't even begin to describe them. John chapter 14 and verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That's a promise. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask, here we're back to the asking side of prayer. Prayer is asking. If you ask anything in my name, nothing is off limits. You need a new car, you need a raise, you need health, nothing is off limits. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. James 4 and 2, you have not because you ask not meaning you ask not in the way he specifies here. And it's not just the New Testament, the Old Testament, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you 
and show you great and mighty things that you never knew that you haven't even dreamed about. Boy, the promises of God. Oh, my. How we need to get hold of them and believe them and practice them. Now, Andrew Murray said again, I go back to this, if there's a delay, something with the prayer is amiss. So I'm praying. I'm asking God, whatever it may be, I'm asking the Lord for what, I'm, I'm, to meet a need in my life, physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, psychological, family, church, whatever it is. And so I'm asking the Lord. I believe it's the Lord's will, but I begin to ask, and, and if there's a delay, there's something with the prayer that needs to be adjusted is something amiss with the prayer because God doesn't lie. But if I, if I quit, well, I've just uh, demonstrated my lack of faith, haven't I? What is faith? It's hearing God's Word, believing His Word, acting on His Word, and leaving the rest up to Him. And so I continue to pray because continuing to pray meets the condition of faith. Now, do you understand that? Are you listening to me? One of the great conditions of answered prayer is faith. Well, if I continue to pray, I have demonstrated faith. I believe God will answer me, even though the answer hasn't come yet. And I do something else if the answer is delayed. I take my Bible and I begin to search it. I go to a Christian that might be able to help me. And I say, I've been praying about this matter, and God is not hearing me. The heavens are brass. Now, how do I get an answer? Because it does say, doesn't it, over and over that God hears and answers prayer? Yes, it does. And so I go, and I search my Bible. And you know what? I promise you the answer is in your Bible. Why, that prayer is not being answered. I can say that with assurance. Well, I can give you some possible reasons that your prayer hasn't been heard. Am I fully surrendered to the Lord and His will? And you begin to search your heart for that. Am, do I have the spirit toward the Lord that an obedient child has to their parents? Am I really surrendered to the Lord? I continue to search. Why is my prayer not being answered? Was well, there a sin in my life? Is there something in my heart that displeases the Lord? He said, if I regard iniquity, if I even look at iniquity in my heart, then the Lord will not hear me. So every day I've got to be thinking about where I'm failing. I've got to be confessing that, forsaking that, and, and, and purifying my life as God reveals to me my sins. And so is there a sin that's holding back the answer? The psalmist prayed Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. That's what he was talking about. Lord, I'm not getting an answer. What is going on? Why am I not getting an answer? Point out to me if there's a sin in my life. The third thing might be my motivation. Is my motivation to glorify God or is my motivation selfish? James said you have not because you ask amiss, because you ask to consume it upon your own lusts. So am I praying selfish prayers or am I praying prayers to really glorify God? Is it the will of God? The Bible's very clear about the will of God in some areas, but in other areas it's 
It's silent. It's completely silent. So I search my Bible. Is this the will of God? And if there's nothing there about it, then I have to rely on other things. But I'm, I'm, I'm purifying my heart. I'm lining up the will of God, a full surrender, a purity of heart, holiness, a motive to be unselfish. And I'm lining all that up like the sights on a rifle until one day God says, ah, I'm ready to give you what you asked for. The answer may be delayed in order for those circumstances to, to change. So I pray for rain. Well, it may take a week for a front to develop. And then God sends the rain. Do I remember I prayed for rain? I pray for a lost person. It may take a long time. It may take years, in fact, for a lost person to come to the point in their life where they're convicted of their sins and they are desperate to come to Christ as their Savior. But I don't quit praying. I pray on. I pray in faith. I pray claiming God's promise, looking for the day they're going to be saved. It's, it's kind of like this. You're driving home today, and your little girl, about six years old, no front teeth and rosy cheeks and beautiful little child. And she says, Mom and Dad, I want an ice cream cone. And you say, I'd love to give her an ice cream cone, but we haven't eaten dinner. Honey, I'll tell you what. You can't have an ice cream cone because it's right before lunch. Don't promise her anything else. You just say it, and you see how she responds. And she goes, And you say, well, no ice cream today. You're not surrendered to your Father's will. Or she says, okay, Father, if that is your will. <laughs> you ever seen that happen? <laughs> not on this planet. <laughs> okay, Dad, I accept that. And so you go eat lunch. Circumstances are changing, right? We're lining up the circumstances. And on the way home, she says, Mom and Dad, you sure I can't have an ice cream? Oh, honey, we'd love to give you an ice cream cone. I think it's like that with our Heavenly Father. I think that's the way he answers prayer. Get your life lined up. Have your attitude right. Don't be selfish. Eliminate the sin. Surrender a full surrender. Make sure you're in the will of God. And the answer's going to come. Well, there's one big exception. I don't have time to get it. Oh, this is the best one. Come on, preacher. We don't mind staying for five more minutes. We really want to. I'll just tell you about it. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is praying and asking God for an answer. And he's down on the river. He's been fasting and praying for 21 days. You can read it later on. And the angel comes and touches him and says, Daniel, stand up. I need to tell you something. Your prayer was answered three weeks ago, 21 days ago, the moment you prayed it. It met all the conditions. But do you know what? I'm on my way to bring you the answer because you're needing to hear from me 
And the devil sent his prince, the prince of Persia, one of his chief demons. Yeah, that's what he said. And he held up the answer for three weeks. He is the demon who is in charge of the nation of Persia. And he has held me up. I've been in a fight with him, spiritual warfare that nobody on the earth even understands. But I broke through, and now I've got an answer to your prayer. That's pretty heavy for some of you. That's the teaching of the Word of God, isn't it? You and I don't know what's happening in these spiritual places. Determine, though, that you're going to knock on the door of heaven till you get an answer. And that you're going to be searching your Bible and lining up the sights so that you meet the conditions. Ten days, no answer. A month, no answer. Three months, no answer. Do I quit? One year, no answer. Two years, no answer. George Mueller prayed for his best friend to be saved for 53 years. George Mueller died six weeks later. The friend came to know Christ. Don't quit. Continue in prayer. And there was one other thing I wanted to show you. I'll just barely mention it. Look at the end of the verse there, verse 8 of chapter 18. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? There will be a scarcity of faith as we near the time of the Lord's coming. That's what he says, isn't it? I mean, words could not be clear. A scarcity of faith. Will he even find faith? Well, there's a premillennial principle, if there ever was one. The world's not going to get better and better, according to that one. You post-millennialists, I'm sorry for y'all, but you have to deal with that verse. Will there even be faith on the earth? And he, what he's referring to is the apostasy of the last days. As it was in the days of Noah, how was it in the days of Noah? Eight people kept the faith. As it was in the days of Lot, how many, pe well, how many people had the faith in the days of, Not of Lot? Lot, his wife turned back and he had to drag his two daughters out of Sodom. They didn't even want to go. It was down to one. How many people are going to keep the faith as the pressure increases on God's people? So there's a stimulus, a motivation for us to deepen our faith and to pray, expecting God to hear us. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.